0: Well, if you have a Bible there with you, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 6, we are picking back up our series through the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to read our text this morning. It's Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. And if you're able to do so, I'll invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. Jesus says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, in in our studies through the Lord's Prayer together, we have come now to the third request or the third petition of the Lord's Prayer that's found in verse 10. Uh, here Jesus teaches us simply, your will be done, we're to ask, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now this, if you've been with us the whole time and have been kind of keeping track of where we are in the prayer, you'll know that this, this request, uh, thy will be done, is the last one, in the first section of the Lord's Prayer, it, it kind of divides itself in half. The first half of the Lord's Prayer is about uh, the things of God, and the second half is about our own needs, our daily bread, forgiveness of sins, and whatnot. But uh, this great pattern prayer that Jesus gives us to teach us how to pray and to know what to pray for in this great pattern prayer, what comes first? That, that's something that we should keep in mind and should be something that guides and molds our prayers. The first and greatest priority in our prayers and the desires of our hearts should be always the things of God first and foremost. Not that we don't pray for our daily bread. Not that we don't pray for the forgiveness of our sins and our debts and all those other things in the second half of the prayer. But what comes first? The things of God come first. Before we ask for... Our daily bread from our Heavenly Father, which, if we're honest, I know this is true for me, the first thing that comes to my mind is what I need. Nobody has to remind me to pray for the things that I need, whether it be my daily bread or even the forgiveness of sins. All all the other things in the Lord's Prayer, I think, come in some ways, kind of without much assistance and help. Um, but before we we ask for our daily bread, uh, the things that we are more eager to pray for naturally, we're taught first to pray for what? The hallowing or sanctifying of God's name, the coming of his kingdom, uh, verse 10, and that God's will might be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but the things of God, those, those, those first three things in the Lord's Prayer, The things of God are not naturally the first things that come to my mind and to come out of my mouth when I'm uh, beginning to pray. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure many of you, like me, have uh, you know the Lord's Prayer. You have uh, probably prayed the Lord's Prayer so many times in public worship and elsewhere that you might not be able to count them. I I literally could not even begin to count the number of times that I have been a part of a church praying the Lord's Prayer uh, in public and in other ways. I have uh, personally, I've read about the Lord's Prayer. I've studied the Lord's Prayer. I've even taught before this sermon series about the Lord's Prayer a a number of times. And yet after all that, the things of God, his name, his kingdom, and his will being done, are often still not the very first things that come to my mind and not the first things that I naturally pray for when I approach the throne of grace. I don't know if that's something you can uh, sympathize with on your own, it's kind of like what what you said, Lord. I believe, help my unbelief. Still have a lot of uh, growing to do in in the faith and certainly in in prayer. Um, so if if you're if you are anything like me, I hope you're not. But if you are in that regard, I think I, I hope that you can see that it's good that we spend some time slowly, not rushing, going through the Lord's prayer once again and being reminded of these things. Because I need to be reminded. Maybe you do. As as well, remember what Paul says in Romans eight twenty six. Uh, he says, "We do not know." This is a, this is called an understatement. Uh, we do not know what to pray for as we ought. We just don't. You might know it up here, but when it comes to praying, very often we don't. We don't put it into practice the way that we should. Last time, uh, last uh, time we looked at the Lord's Prayer a couple weeks ago, we saw that there is a an order, a natural order, a logical order and connection between the six requests in the Lord's Prayer uh, that are found there. Each one follows the previous one for a reason. The order of the Lord's Prayer is not random. It's not haphazard in any way. Uh, In his book, On the Lord's Prayer, A.W. Pink writes this. He says, The connection between this third petition, Thy will be done, uh, and the preceding ones is not difficult to trace. The first concern of our hearts as well as our prayers must be for God's glory. Longings after God's kingdom naturally follow, as do honest endeavors to serve Him while we remain on this earth. The glory of God is the great object of our desires. The coming and enlargement of His kingdom are the chief means by which God's glory is manifestly secured. Our personal obedience, you know, doing God's will, our personal obedience makes it manifest that his kingdom has come to us. You see the logic of what he's saying there? Pray for God's glory. Well, how do, how is God's glory made manifest? In the coming of his kingdom, in us and in the world. And how is the coming of his kingdom made manifest? In us doing his will. In, in people, us and others, doing the will of God as it is done in heaven. So the glory of God, as we saw in the first request of the prayer, uh, hallowed be thy name. The glory of God's name is to be the chief desire of our hearts. I don't know about you, but that often is not the first thing that I think of. Uh, and the main theme and overarching concern of our prayers is to be the glory of God's name. Uh, and the coming of God's kingdom and the doing of his will on earth as it is in heaven, those are some of the main ways that God's name is to be glorified. All the other requests in the Lord's Prayer are secondary to the first request and are, in a sense, to be seen as a means to that end. Even our daily bread. We pray for our daily bread in the context of God's name being glorified as being the more important of the two. Now, think about some of you, many of you know the first, at least the first question of the Shorter Catechism. uh, And what is that question? What is the chief end or purpose of man? Uh, a less fancy way of saying that is why are you here why do you exist and what's the answer to that question you could probably most of you could probably say it out loud without much difficulty I'll, I'll give you a break it says man's chief end his main purpose man's chief end is to glorify god and to enjoy him forever what's the first thing to glorify god forever that's why god made you that's the reason that we exist glorifying and enjoying god is the the very reason and the purpose for your existence That's the main reason that you are even here. It's why God created you, it's why God sustains you, and it's why God, if you're a Christian, has redeemed you by sending his son uh, to redeem you from your sin to be his own possession, his own people. Now, once again, as we've done in the past uh, in this study, we're going to use the Shorter Catechism's explanation of this request as uh, our outline or structure of sorts for the sermon Uh, you might know the shorter catechism ends with a, I think it's ten questions, each going through one line of the Lord's Prayer and explaining it out in brief, you know, in in brief uh, manner. And question and answer number 103 is the one on the third petition, and it says this, What do we pray for in the third petition? Answer, in the third petition, which is, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, we pray that God, by His grace, would make us able and willing to know, obey, and submit to his will in all things as the angels do in heaven. To know, obey, and submit to his will in all things as the angels do in heaven. So we're going to look and unpack kind of those three things, the last three things I emphasized there, as the three points of our sermon this morning. The first thing that we have to know and learn is that we have to see that praying that God's will might be done on earth as it is in heaven means that we have to pray that you and I might be willing and able to know God's will. It sounds elementary, but we have to know God's will in order to even begin to do God's will. The second thing we have to learn to pray when we pray this prayer in the Lord's Prayer is we have to know what it means to pray that we might be willing and able to obey the will of God in all things. And the last thing we have to learn what it means to pray. This request is that we might be willing and able to submit to the will of God in all things. So knowing the will of God, obeying the will of God, and submitting to the will of God. So the first thing that this third request of the Lord's Prayer teaches us is that we must pray, quote, pray that God by his grace would make us able and willing to know the will of God in all things. So you and I need, we have a need of knowing the will of God. We don't just know it on our own. We need to pray that we might know and understand God's will. The Apostle Paul, in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17, writes this, Look carefully, or watch, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, or redeeming the time, because the days are evil. And then he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul has to tell the church in Ephesus and elsewhere, don't be foolish. Make sure you understand what God's will is in these things. Now, that might seem like a pretty simple thing to some of you. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, "Hey, pastor, you know, what what's what's so hard about that? Knowing God's will. What what's so difficult about that? Doesn't everybody kind of basically already know God's will? Is that what we think? We think we kind of everybody just kind of has. We all we all just kind of know." You really have to pray and ask God to help you know God's will. Well, listen again to the wording of that answer from question 103 of the Shorter Catechism. It says, in the third petition, we pray that God, by his grace, would make us able and willing to know his will. Evidently, the Westminster Divines didn't think that everybody just knows, even us, that we don't just naturally know God's will. We might think we do. what's the saying you often hear you think you know but you have no idea we think we know but we have no idea you remember the uh, children of Israel in the time of the judges how often that book says they, they did what was right in their own eyes and was the scripture saying that as a good thing was it saying hey they just knew God's will and they did it no in fact if you read the rest of the book what does it say they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord so think about that These are God's people. These are the Israelites, the ones who had God's law. And what was their tendency? Their tendency was to think they knew, but they had no idea. They did what they thought was not wrong. They did what they thought was right. But what were they actually doing? What was evil? Not just a little off, evil in the sight of the Lord. God was displeased and he chastised them. And sent you know sent wicked countries and wicked peoples to chastise them for it, we must pray by the grace of God I mean we 're asking for god 's grace, not something we deserve, uh, by the grace of God that he would make us able and willing to know His will in all things. in other words, none of us, not one of us naturally just knows and understands god 's will, and more than that, none of us want to. On our own, not, nobody in this room wants to know God's will, much less to do God. None of us do. We, we want to do what we want to do. You know, we, we want to do what's right in our own eyes. We want to do what comes naturally, right? Let your conscience be your guide. You know, let, let your own follow your heart. Don't do that. That's some of the worst advice you'll ever hear is someone telling you to follow your, your heart. That's how helpless we are on our own. We don't even want to know God's will, much less actually know it. What does Romans 3.11 says? It says, uh, Romans 3.11 says, Paul says there, no one understands. That's in that section on total depravity where no one does good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. He says, no one understands. We don't even know. We don't even understand God's will. Do you not feel that need for the grace of God in your own hearts? When, When you're honest with yourself, do you not say, I don't even, you know, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I don't even want to know your will on my own. I still struggle, you know, with, with sin and with my own desires. Do you not pray for the grace and mercy of God that he might work in your heart and mind by his Holy Spirit that you might know and even want to know and understand his will in all things? Now, here's the point where I think many, even many Christians go astray in, this, in these things. Where is the will of God made known most clearly? Where, where, do you, where do you find God's will? In the word of God, in the scriptures. That's where God has made his will known. This is Shorter Catechism Sunday, apparently. Shorter Catechism, question three says, What do the scriptures principally teach? You know that one. I won't ask you to say it right now. But what do the scriptures principally teach? What are they, main, what are they mainly about? And it says in question three that it's about two things. And I think that the catechism is right on the money with this. Two things. One, what we are to believe concerning God or to believe about God. And the second thing is what duty God requires of us. So what we are to believe and how we are to live in light of what we believe. That's a a pretty short and helpful summary of the entire message of Scripture. What we are to believe and how we are to live. In other words... It's in the Bible that we find God's will revealed. His will for our salvation in the gospel and his will for us in how we are to live in light of the gospel. That's what's in the Bible. That's what it's about. Those are the main... It's about a lot of things, but what does it say? What does it principally teach? The main things of scripture are those two things. And we should keep that in mind. And yet, how many even professing believers in Christ fail to seek to find the will of God as it's taught in the pages of scripture? You know, when I was in my younger days and was in a, a college ministry, uh, anytime you had the topic of knowing the will of God, you had a crowd. Like if nobody skipped that one. You've had some other, you know, topic, it might be hit and miss, but knowing God's will, boy, everybody wanted the, uh, you know, the little orphan annie decoder ring. You know, everybody wanted to know what, how to know God's will and all these things. Uh, but if you, if, if you were to say how to know the will of God, And we're going to have a study on the Ten Commandments. Uh, Probably half the the room might be empty. That's not what people wanted to know. They wanted to know who I'm supposed to marry, where I'm supposed to live, all those kinds of of things. How many Christians, professing Christians, form their views on God, their views on morality, and other things that are important? How many form their views on those things by what they already happen to think or by uh, what they hear around them, by the things that are commonly assumed by the world? rather than seeking those things in the Word of God. It shouldn't be. We should be forming our views and and, and reforming our views according to the Word of God. How many professing believers, again, constantly seek out the hidden or secret will of God about those big decisions of life, and yet neglect to study the many things that God has already revealed in His Word? There's, There's so many things that God has revealed. You know, We always say, God, give me a sign, you know. God has given us so many things clearly in his word. Here's what I want you to do. And yet we neglect those things and try to find out things God hasn't revealed. Whereas maybe if we would just do the things God has revealed, those other things would fall into place on their own. He would guide us in those things quite well without much difficulty. There's a very good verse on this very subject found in Deuteronomy. It's also Deuteronomy day today. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 uh, if you 're in the habit of memorizing Scripture, this would be a good one to commit to memory. I think it 's a helpful verse, as all of Scripture is, but it says this: "The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. in other words there 's things that God has revealed, and there are things that God has not revealed in Scripture. The things that he has not revealed, who do they belong to? The secret things. Who do the secret things, what does it say? They belong to the Lord, our God. They're his, they're not ours. Well, this sounds rude, but it's, it's, these things are none of your business. We don't get to pull the curtain back and look at the man, you know, behind the curtain. God doesn't let us look over his shoulder. He's, he's revealed plenty that we have more than enough to look at and to spend our time reading and studying and discerning. And the things he hasn't revealed aren't for us, but the things he has revealed, what does it say? Belong to us and to our children forever that we might do all the words of this law. Those secret things are his. Uh, That's often what theologians call his decretive will or the will of his decree, what God has decreed before the foundation of the world to come to pass in time. Uh, That is the part of the will of God that he has not seen fit to reveal to us ahead of time. Those secret things belong to God alone, and they aren't our business. Uh, We are to mind our own business, which is what he has revealed. The things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we might do them. This is what uh, theologians often call his preceptive will. Precept means a commandment or something he wants us to do. That's his will for our lives as expressed in his commandments and other such things in his word. Uh, In many things, and these things, You know, those things do belong to us. He's given them to us in his word for us to delight in and meditate upon and do all the days of our lives. So we must pray according to the Lord's Prayer. You and I have to pray that God would would help us and make us be able and willing to come to know his will. That we would learn to diligently search the scriptures and meditate upon his law and his commandments in order that we might live in accordance with the will of God. What is Psalm 1? Remember the Psalm 1, the very first Psalm in the book of Psalms? What does David say there in verses 1 and 2? He says, Blessed! Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And then what is, what's the difference? But his delight is in the what? The law of the Lord. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law, The Lord's law. On his law he meditates day and night. That's a verse that many Christians in our day, it sounds like it's in a totally different language. Delighting in God's commandments? What did David say in Psalm 119? Lord, I love your law. He says, delight in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. It's not a burden for a redeemed person. God's law is a blessing to a redeemed person. Do you delight in the word of God? If you do, you will learn to read it, to meditate upon it day and night. And what's the result? A crushing burden? What's the result of, me- of, of delighting in God's word, even in his commandments, and meditating? What's, what's meditating? It's not sitting there cross-legged and making weird noises. It's, it's thinking about what you read. Mulling it over in your mind and heart and thinking about how does this apply to me? What does this mean for my life? What does the psalmist say in Psalm 1 is the result? Blessing. Blessed is the man. And fruitfulness unto God. This one's going to bear fruit. You want to bear fruit in your life for God to have your life mean, mean something and make a difference? Where does it start? Delighting in God's law and meditating in it. The one who chooses instead to go the other way, just to walk in the counsel of the wicked, to stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of scoffers, uh, they're not going to be transformed at all. They're going to be conformed more and more to the world. And and what's the result? They're going to be drawn away from the Word of God. You know, you can't have it both ways. Years ago a man gave my dad a Bible uh, and he wrote in the beginning, in the in the open page, you know, the white section in the front, he said something like this isn't something he came up with, I've heard this before, but either this book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from this book. And that's that's really true. You know, the ways of the world will keep you from the ways of God. Or but you can't have it both ways. You can't serve two masters. Either you're going to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, or you're going to be conformed to the world. So I ask, are you delighting in God's word? Are you delighting in his commandments? Or are you walking in the counsel of wicked and being conformed to the world? Proverbs fourteen twelve says that you know there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Uh, that's, that's very true in a lot of, of ways. Well the second thing, that brings us to the second thing that the Lord's Prayer in this request has to teach us is that, uh, as the Catechism says, that we must pray that God by His grace would make us able and willing not just to know God's will, but to what? To obey God's will. It doesn't do much good to know it if you're not really going to purpose to obey it. We have to ask God to help us obey His will in all things. James Chapter one, verses twenty-two to twenty-five says this: James writes, "But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Why? For if anyone is a hearer of the word, it's not, not a bad thing to be a hearer of the word, right? Many, many don't even do that. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror." For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be what? He will be, there's that word again, blessed in his doing. God isn't strapping a burden to your back. He's trying to give you blessing. And the way of blessing is very often in the way of obeying his revealed will. Hearing the word is not enough. Knowing the will of God is not good enough. Reading the Bible and hearing sermons, those are good things. But they're not good enough if we don't intend to believe and to put into practice what we have heard and read. We have to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And what does James say? If you're a hearer only, what are you doing? Deceiving ourselves. That's, That's what he says we're doing. Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, a very familiar passage to most of you, I'm sure. The apostle Paul writes this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. How do you do that? Well, glad you asked. Verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewal of your mind, Here it is, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. And what does he call the will of God? That which is what? Good and acceptable and perfect. God's will for your life and for my life is good. And it's acceptable. And it's perfect. He knows what he's doing. He knows what's best for us in all things. And being transformed by the renewal of our mind involves testing and discerning the will of God for your life. How does God want me to live? That's what we are to search for in our studies. How important is doing the will of God? Is it like a nice idea? You know, hey, if you know, if you want to add that to your you know resume, so to speak, that's great. Uh, it's it's more than that. Matthew seven uh, verses twenty one to twenty three, the Lord Jesus Christ. Gives, uh, I've often said this is the scariest passage in the Bible. I kind of think it is in a lot of ways. I, he gives here one of the most sternest, most sobering warnings found in all of Scripture. Matthew seven twenty-one to 23, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of, hev- of heaven, but the one who does what? The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. There's that phrase again. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you what? Workers of iniquity. He said, I mean, these are religious people, right? These are, for our times, we, pastors, teachers, people that are religious professionals, people that they're all about uh, Christianity, so to, so to speak. They call Jesus Lord, Lord. They're not worshiping some other false god, at least not outwardly. They're calling him Lord, Lord. Uh, they're doing great things, things that we don't do. They're prophesying, they're preaching, Prophesying doesn't mean just telling the future. It means proclaiming the Word of God. They're, they're, they're proclaiming the Word of God. They're casting out, I've never casted out a demon. They're casting out demons in your, in your name. They're doing, they're doing things in the name of Christ. They're prophesying in your name, casting out demons in your name, and doing many mighty works. What? Again, three times. In your name. And then what does Jesus say? You're using my name a lot, I'm paraphrasing. I never knew you. Not, I used to know you, but you slipped a little bit. This whole thing is a charade. That's what he tells them. Many will say to him on that day, Lord, Lord. And what's the difference? Doing God's will. You can do all the great religious things you can think of. But if you're not doing the will of God, uh, if you're, if you're a worker of lawlessness or iniquity instead, then you're not a child of God yet. Doing God's will, to be clear, does not save you. The Bible, Jesus is not preaching a work salvation. Jesus is not saying, do the will of God and he'll let you in. It's not what he is saying. Salvation is by grace alone through faith. It is not by works lest any man should boast, Ephesians two 8-9. So why does he say that? Why does Jesus say the one who does the will of my Father in heaven um, will enter the kingdom of heaven? Doing the will of God in your life is a sign of new life. And it's a mark of the family resemblance that is found in a child of God. It means you're born again. It's it's the evidence that you are born again and are made right with God. Matthew 12, verse 50, Jesus says there, Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's not saying that they earn being his brother and sister and mother by, by trying hard. He's saying that's how you can tell. The family resemblance is that they, they seek to do the will of his Father in heaven. If you profess to believe in Christ, you must show the evidence of a true and living faith by the manner in which you live. And that involves doing the will of God, not perfectly. Remember, what, what the, what's the prayer? Your will be done, how? On earth as it is in heaven. In other words, even in the prayer, we're we're acknowledging that that's not the case yet. That in this life, that's not going to be the case. I've never perfectly obeyed the will of God in my life one single day in my entire life, and neither have you. But you have done the will of God, if you're a believer. Sincerely and from the heart, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is an, an increase in doing the will of God. It's living unto righteousness and dying unto sin. That is what God has done in you if you're a believer in Christ and what he is still doing in you. He's not done with, if you're a Christian, he's not done with you yet. What does Philippians 1, six say? Being confident of this, that he who what? Finished a good work? Began a good work in you will do what? Carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has started a good work in you if you're a believer. He brought you to new life, brought you to faith in Christ and he is even now sanctifying you and getting you more and more conformed to the image of Christ. What does Paul say in Romans 12, 1-2? Be transformed. It, it's, it's, it's not proper English, but you could say, be being transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's an ongoing process. It's not an overnight, flip the switch, take the red pill or the blue pill kind of thing. It's God being at work in your life. Well, that brings us to the third thing that this request of the Lord's Prayer is to teach us, is that we must pray that God, by His grace again would make us able and willing not just to know His will, not just to even do His will, but also to, and maybe this might be the hardest one, to submit to the will of God in all things. Doing the will of God is submitting to His precepts. Submitting to the will of God is submitting to His wise providence. Both things are aspects of God's will. Now, providence is a word that has fallen out of use in many Christians' vocabularies. Uh, But I think it's a very important truth that we need to understand and know. I hope that you will not let this word fall out of use, that you will find a way to bring this back into your vocabularies if you haven't already. What is providence? If we're going to use the word, it's helpful to know what it means. Again, shorter catechism gives us a good definition. Question 11, uh, the answer is this. God's works of providence are, here it is, his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. So two things, preserving and governing, what? Everything, including everyone's actions. That's how sovereign God is. He has foreordained, it says, whatsoever comes to pass. That's not just good things, It's bad things too. God is in control of all of it. That's his providence. That's his will coming to fruition in life. The decrees he has made before the foundation of the world coming to pass in time. That's his providence. In his commentary on the Shorter Catechism, Thomas Vincent writes this, when we pray that the will of God's providence may be done, we request that ourselves and others might have compliance of will with the will of God. So as thankfully... To accept merciful providences and patiently submit unto afflictive providences. In other words, when things go well, that's what he would call merciful providences, answers to prayer, healings from cancer and things like that, we thank him for those promises, those those providences, those acts of his providence. Uh, And when they don't go well, his, what he calls afflictive providences, and those happen as well, right? that we are to patiently submit unto those things as being God's will, as being His, His providence in our lives. Many of you have gone through things like that. Maybe you, some of you I know are going through things like that right now, and that's part of thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We must pray for God's will to be done in our lives and in the lives of others, even if His will turns out to be much different than our own. We all know how we want things to go. But at the end of the day, we have to pray always, Thy will be done, even in my life. It's it's Saying that and praying that means you're trusting that God knows what he's doing. I often say when I have occasion to counsel people or to talk to people about things going on in their lives, I say something like this, you know, God knows what he's doing even when I don't. God knows what he's doing in your life even when you don't. And we have to trust that he knows best. The book of Job, Job sets us a good example of those afflictive providences and trusting in God in that time when he says in Job 121, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, or the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord giveth, those are the those good providences, so to speak, those ones that we thank him for, and he taketh away. Those are his Afflictive providences, both are his will for our lives. Your plans for the future must be in submission to the will of God. That's what we should be seeking. James chapter 4 verse 15 says, You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Very often, maybe you've gotten emails from me and I've said something like, Lord willing, or we say that in conversation. That's what we mean. We're saying, Lord willing, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. That's what I plan to do. I don't know if it's the Lord's plan that I do those things. We must be willing to endure suffering for the name of Christ and for doing good if it's God's will. 1 Peter 3.17 says, For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And in other places in the Scripture it says that we've been called to suffering. Not just to believe but also to suffer for Christ's name. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself exemplified this better than anyone else did in His own sufferings for our salvation from our sins, didn't He? Think of the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed three times. You ever have somebody tell you not to pray something more than once? Well, Jesus prayed something three times, even with tears, right? He prayed that the cup of His sufferings might be removed from Him, or might pass from Him. But each time He prayed that, what did He say? Nevertheless not as I will but as you will Matthew 26:39 He sets us the best example of that ever even as he accomplished our salvation from sin so we see that there's a lot of meaning behind the simple sounding request thy will be done we have to pray to God by his grace that we would know his will and be willing to do his will in our lives like the angels in heaven who do his will perfectly in all things and we also have to pray that his will might be done in our lives, that we might be willing to submit to his providence whatever that entails, whatever that involves that we might submit to that. And all of that is for one reason, isn't it? It's that the name of our Heavenly Father might be glorified that hallowed might be his name. I'm going to read before I give the benediction, I'm going to read the benediction which is Hebrews 13 20 to 21 and listen it's it's almost like i'm seeing this everywhere you ever do that you're you you think of something a particular car or something and all of a sudden you see it everywhere or whatever the case. it happens to me all the time i think of something i i've never noticed there were so many white cars you know uh hebrews 13 20 to 21 it says this now may the god of peace who brought again from the dead our lord jesus that great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant here it is May he equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And then he adds, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. And then what does he end with? To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Even in the benediction in Hebrews, it's thy will be done to God's glory. And God working in you, because we can't do it ourselves, that he might work in you what is pleasing in his sight through Christ Christ. Uh, And what does it involve? That we might do His will and that God might be glorified. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we, we come to this passage again and we think we know, but we have no idea. We, we think we know what it means to, to, to know Your will and to do Your will and even to accept and submit to Your will. We think we know what it means to pray, Thy will be done. Lord, we've, we've prayed it so many times. We've, we've read it. We've prayed it. We've sung it. We've done all these things. We've heard it preached about. Um, And, Lord, we don't know. On our own, we don't have any clue what your will is. And we ask that you would forgive us for these things, that you would work in us, as the writer of Hebrews says, work in us by your spirit what is pleasing in your sight, that we might learn to do your will in all things, and that you might receive all the glory. We pray that you would uh, give us eyes to see, give us understanding, that we might seek, delight in, and meditate upon uh, your word, even your commandments and your law, that we might... See what it is that is your will for our lives that we might seek to know it as something valuable as something like buried treasure we would we would dig and dig and try to discern it try to do your will work in us again what is pleasing in your sight help us to do your will help us to do your will and so show uh, the evidence of a true living faith to those around us that we might show the family likeness that we have of being your child uh, and having the hope of heaven the sure hope of heaven uh, that you have given us only in Christ by your grace. And we do pray that if there's anyone here that does not yet know you who has been a hearer only and not a doer of the word and not believed in Christ for salvation, that you might open their eyes even now, that they might uh, look to him and have life in his name, and uh, they might from here from here on look to know and to do and to submit to your will in all things, even as it is in heaven. For we ask all these things in the name of Christ and for his glory. Amen.